Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg, presented by Clear. Enroll today at clearme.com slash Peter and try Clear at the busiest airports nationwide. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here with another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. Are you itching to get back to traveling? Well, you're not alone. But where will you go? If you're like most of my friends, the answer is just about anywhere. But my guess is that feeling won't last long, and soon we'll be rushing to check off specific destinations on our own bucket list. And one of those destinations might be in Europe. I'll check in with Simon Calder of The Independent in London for his update on travel to the UK and the rest of the continent. Then, it's not just about countries opening their borders, it's about the travel industry lowering their barriers to travel, both figuratively and literally. 19% of the population has at least one form of disability, and I'll talk with John Sage about the progress being made for accessible travel. And finally, a fascinating discussion with Dr. David McKennis, the author of a new book titled Shocked, and the true story of how saving lives at 35,000 feet became a reality. First up, I check in with Simon Calder. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move, or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. 
As I've been talking about this week and last week as well, the European Union, at least, is starting to open the doors. The walls are coming down uh, with the most recent announcement that uh, those 27 countries are going to be opening to properly vaccinated American travelers and uh, without the need to quarantine. Now, you may need to be tested depending on each individual country's requirements. And of course, you're going to have to show a negative COVID-19 test before coming back to the United States. Those rules are still in effect. But the real question is, what's happening with the United Kingdom? A couple of weeks ago, the the United Kingdom came out with their red, yellow, and green system. Uh, Green saying that if you were properly vaccinated, you then could come into the UK without without, uh, being quarantined. But surprisingly, the U.S. was left off that list. Uh, I should also tell you that the U.S. State Department weeks earlier had painted with a rather broad brush and had made the United Kingdom part of its level four do not travel advisory. So something tells you there's some reciprocity at work here. The man who knows the answer to all of those things and so many more, one of our regulars on the show from The Independent in London, our good pal Simon Calder. Hey, hey, Simon. Uh, Peter, what a pleasure to talk to you. It is an absolute mess. If I may just bring you up to speed this weekend on what's happening in the UK. So we have had for 19 weeks until just this week, a complete ban on international leisure travel. Now, in the past, I've written about how the United States has actually banned its citizens from going to places such as Cuba and North Korea. And I never thought we would see the day we would see something like that in the UK. But we did. It's been going on pretty much since the start of 2021. And it was lifted on Monday. We cheered. We were so thrilled. I was at uh, one of the London airports at uh, 7 a.m. flying off to Portugal, one of the very few places I can go to without quarantining. And then for the rest of the week, government minister after government minister lined up to say, well, we said you could travel, but we really don't want you to. And please stay at home. It's so confusing. Well, welcome to the club. We're, we're confused about mask guidance in the United States because on one level, the CDC is saying if you've been properly vaccinated, you don't need to wear a mask outside. You don't need to wear a mask inside. But wait a minute. Who's to prove I was vaccinated? And, and what happens to me if I want to walk into a bar? and I've not been vaccinated, who's going to challenge me? I mean, I've been saying all along, this has got bar fight written all over it. So <laughs> here's my guess, and tell me tell me if you think I'm wrong on this one. We've morphed from a public health issue to an economic one. And one by one, countries around the world have already realized this, but now they're coming to grips with it, that they cannot sustain another summer without the revenue from travel and tourism. So that makes the the EU decision about properly vaccinated travelers understandable. But then we come to the UK. So here's my prediction, Simon. You get a chance to weigh in on this. I'm thinking that, you know, know, within the next two weeks, the UK is not going to have a choice. They're going to have to change the rules and allow vaccinated American travelers to the UK The U.S. is not going to have a choice. They're going to reciprocate and allow properly vaccinated uh, members of the United Kingdom population to travel to the United States. And once that happens, England will then be followed by Wales and Scotland and Ireland, and all those walls will come down because it's less a factor of how many people in those locations have been vaccinated than how many people who have been vaccinated want to come and spend money there. Exactly. Yeah, uh, that that summed it up brilliantly. Would you mind, Peter? I know you've got a lot on, but if you could come and run the country, um, I think we would be in slightly (laughs) better shape from a tourism industry point of view. Uh, You're absolutely right. And of course, everywhere in the UK in the summer, 
just loves American visitors. They keep Scotland powered. It's a huge contributor to that nation's uh, payments. Um, London would be empty were it not for for Americans and people from Europe, from the Middle East, from Asia, from South America and so on coming in. And it gets everything to work. And Conversely, we will export every year, typically almost a million British people to Florida to keep things um, uh, turning nicely in, in um, Orlando and around. That hasn't been happening. Now, my view is that the United States, having such a strong economy, having so many great people who are very happy, if they need to, to vacation closer to home, doesn't have such an issue, certainly as the European countries that we've been talking about, so France, Spain, Italy, absolutely love uh, to see the Americans coming back. Um, Simon, it's crystal ball time now. You heard what I said earlier that I actually think that the UK will not have a choice here. They're going to have to open the doors by about June 15th. Maybe they make it effective by July 1st, but they're not going to go beyond that. What do you think? I I absolutely agree. But the reason for that is that uh, uh, we are going to, in the UK, get what I am calling a Disney dividend of your president, Joe Biden, coming over to the UK, which he is going to do in the second week of June, because the G7 summit, the leaders of the most powerful economies in the Western world, will be meeting in the county of Cornwall in the far southwest of England. Now, he doesn't want to turn up empty handed. So he's going to say, you know, that presidential proclamation I signed back in January, shortly after the inauguration, um, saying we don't want um, Europeans and in particular people from the UK. Thanks very much. Well, I'm going to rescind that. And simultaneously, the UK is going to say, wow, we love that. And uh, we're going to say that you can come into here without any quarantine. Now, you're not even going to need uh, to show that you've been vaccinated because in the UK, it's a really sensitive issue. The idea that if you're lucky enough to be jabbed, then you're able to have a a, a more interesting time. So your your vaccination certificate won't count for much and you'll still have to have a couple of tests to come to the UK. But my goodness, we need you, Peter, not just you personally, but your um, excellent fellow countrymen. Um, We need to make those connections and people talking to people, experiencing different cultures hearing different languages eating different food that's so important and we haven't been doing any of that for the last 15 months and how quickly can the uk pivot once that scenario that you're projecting happens Uh, Very, very slowly, unfortunately. Um, There is this tremendous tussle between the medical profession who, absolutely understandably, they've got their corner to fight. They are saying, we want travel effectively to stop. Um, There was even a, a government minister in what we call the House of Lords this week said, foreign travel, we should be doing none of it in 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 2021. And any we certainly don't want any foreign visitors in. But of course, you've got the airlines, uh, you've got the hotels, they're saying we are desperate to start flying again. London Heathrow to New York JFK used to be the most important air route in the world. Now, you know, maybe a couple of flights a day. It's it's a hideous situation. So things will change, but it's going to be, I think, faster on the American side than it is on the UK side. But you are all welcome, even you, Peter. <laughs> well, that brings up the area of testing. You mentioned that a little bit earlier in our conversation. Right now, if I need to get a test, and by the way, I do need to get a test just about everywhere I'm going. If I'm in New York, I can go to the New York City Department of Public Health 
12, make an appointment, go in. 10 minutes later, I've tested. And three hours later, they send me an email saying you've come back negative. I print that up. I can show that at the counter or at the gate and I can board my flight. It costs me nothing. And yet, if I'm coming over to London and I need to come back to the United States and I need to get tested, it's going to cost me. It's going to cost you hundreds of dollars because when you come over, assuming that you are on our so-called green list with no quarantine, you're going to have to get a test before you leave the US, which you can do very easily thanks to the New York City authorities. You're going to have to pre-book some sort of test, maybe at the airport, who knows, wherever you like, when you arrive, and that's going to cost you uh, probably 150 bucks. And then... uh, you're very welcome to come in and of course you've then got to take another test which the public authorities will not allow you to do here you've got to pay uh, probably another 100 150 bucks for that so you're getting quite close to the airfare and that's simply on testing to allow you to come into the uk that is not sustainable in the long term and therefore i think there's some growing pressure for the so-called vaccine dividend the idea that we, we, like you, are pretty much ahead of the rest of the world in terms of getting jabs into people's arms. And we should capitalize on that and open up travel rather than just saying, oh, we don't want to risk um, uh, anything at this stage. Um, life is all about balancing risk. And um, I, I, I think uh, we need to open up a bit. So what you're saying is even if you do open up, it's essentially a de facto $300 surcharge to go to the UK just for testing. Sure, and it's not just that surcharge. You've got to fill out a really complicated form before you get on. I was lucky enough to take the uh, two-and-a-half-hour flight from London across to Portugal earlier this week. Um, Coming back, I spent longer uh, on the day of my flight home filling in the forms, making sure I got the testing right, checking that everything was lining up in 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 the appropriate way i spent longer doing that than i did on the flight coming home it's you know you can absolutely do without it um i used to travel quite a lot to the soviet union if any of your lovely listeners can remember the 1980s that was a heck of a lot easier than international travel to and from the uk is now my thanks to simon So much of us take travel and the physical ability to travel for granted. John Sage knows all too well the dangers of that and will discuss some real barriers to travel that exist for the millions of Americans who have a physical disability. What's been done to remove some of those design and physical barriers and what still needs to be done. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It's always interesting to me how much we don't understand about one segment of travel in which so many people are affected, either directly or indirectly. And you could call it handicapped travel. You could call it disabled travel. You could call it people have a challenge traveling. But the point is, about 19% of the American public has a disability of one form or another. It could be hearing, sight impairment, mobility issues, you name it. But the point is, are their needs being addressed 
And they vote with their wallets, too. They spend a huge amount of money traveling. Uh, And there's so many things that could be done that are so commonsensical, it just bothers me every time I see somebody struggling and something that they should never be struggling about, having to get through an airport or check into a hotel or, in many cases, get off a cruise ship. It's a little troublesome. My my go-to guy for this, John Sage. He's the CEO and founder of Sage Traveling. He's a basically a, he, he's a disabled travel and cruise expert for another reason. John is also in a wheelchair, which he can explain as well. So he's an expert from personal experience, and his clients are experts from personal experience. Now comes the challenge of how we make it better. John, welcome to the show. So you, you know the statistics. You know them better than anybody else. Let me give you a couple of for instances as we're, you know, we're seeing Europe opening up. And I'm going to start with the cruise lines. You know, back the, when they passed the Americans with Disabilities Act, which was very well-intentioned, and I must say the cruise lines complied uh, to a certain extent and to a measurable extent to, to ramping things, to making things physically accessible, uh, to making cabins, the doorways wider to accommodate for wheelchairs, or to make sure there wasn't sort of a, a threshold that a wheelchair couldn't get over, uh, to adjust the height of the sinks in the bathrooms so that a wheelchair could actually get under it. All those things are great. But here's the part that drives me nuts. They may have made the ships accessible. What about the ports? How many times have you gotten off a cruise ship at a European port? I'm just going to say Europe as an example, to see that there's nothing but steps. There are no ramps, huge steps. And with 19% of the public having a disability issue, you would think from just an economic perspective, not just about doing the right thing perspective, they would fix that. What's been your experience? Yeah, accessible travel is is challenging, uh, particularly in some of the, the more desirable destinations that include historic city centers that go back hundreds or thousands of years. And so you encounter cobblestones and hills and uh, and steps and narrow bathrooms and all these things that, that do make it a, a challenge. Um, and that's really where we got our start. Uh, started, I spent my 20s traveling around Europe as a hobby and ultimately ended up founding Sage Traveling to, to address that need. Um, the, the cruise lines, I think you're right. They've made a lot of progress on their ships. Uh, you go into a roll-in shower on a, a cruise ship, and it's it's better than a lot of hotel uh, roll-in showers. Um, there still is the the challenge with the the accessible shore excursions, um, and there's various reasons for that. I, I will say we have had some success in helping them offer more accessible shore excursions. So so things are moving in the right direction. That's the good news. All right, but you know, you I'll be devil's advocate here. If I'm going to be visiting an older medieval village in Europe that's got cobblestone streets, those streets, the reason why you're visiting it is to also see those cobblestone streets and to experience them. So how do you adjust? How do you pivot for people who have a mobility issue? Yeah, and this is the challenge is exactly you don't want to tear up all the cobblestones in Florence. It would lose some of its charm. We have seen one of the nice things is in some northern European countries, that have a lot of biking, um, like Denmark and Netherlands and places like that, they will, will have one paved section and they'll leave the rest of the cobblestones in. Uh, so th- that's one strategy. Um, we also, you know, some streets are maybe paved and some are cobblestones. And so if we're going to lead a tour, we'll stick to the, the paved section as much as we can, uh, while still maybe dipping onto the cobblestones to, to see something worthwhile. So it's it, it does take a, a bit of uh, focus and, and expertise to, to really navigate it well. And then my other pet peeve, and by the way, this applies to even new airports 
or new terminals that are being built or, you know, basically restored terminals or renovated terminals. I'm convinced that the people who build airports have never flown. And I'm also convinced that the people who build airports have never sat where you sit. You know, they, they don't understand the dynamics and the physics of, of basically navigating through a terminal on a wheelchair or in a wheelchair. Uh, they put in carpeting. And, and here's how I know it, John. You're, you may laugh about this, but the reason why I know it is because they put in carpeting that makes it even difficult for me to move my bag across the carpeting, and I got four wheels on the bag. Um, what could it, I mean, what does that mean for somebody in a wheelchair going through a very thick, uh, almost a restricted carpet is not a pleasant experience. No, it's not. And and some people don't think about carpet, whether it's in a, a, an airport terminal or in, in a hotel or, or wherever. Um, it, and, you know, airports, many of them are very big. They include some long distances. They uh, a lot of times they do have courtesy carts to help people that, that need help getting to the uh, to the the gate and there they do have i will say airports do a, a better than average job of providing additional assistance for for people um but it, and it's not just the airport the the real challenge is, as far as my i'm concerned with with flying is i get to the gate and then i transfer to this small little aisle chair and they bring me to my seat um now generally if it's domestic flight i will sit in that seat the whole, whole time if it's an international flight they'll bring a small aisle chair to take me to the bathroom which is very small and not very easy to, to maneuver. And so those are some of the challenges out there that, that prevent uh, disabled people from traveling more. I agree. And, you know, I have a solution for this. And it's not a difficult solution. And it's not one that competing companies have to worry about, about anybody having a competitive disadvantage. They would all have a competitive advantage. If all the cruise lines got together and had a press conference and say, you know what, we all sail to the following 10 ports, and they're not accessible to many of our guests. So effective immediately, we're not going to sail to these ports until they are accessible. How fast would they have stonemasons in those harbors, uh, you know, basically ramping everything and making everything accessible in a heartbeat? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And on some of these smaller Caribbean islands, there's zero accessible vans on the whole island. That would be a, a, an easy thing also to say, hey, we're, we're, we're going to skip your port next season unless somebody buys an accessible van. My thanks to John. Here's a travel question you probably never asked. How many passengers and crew members die each year while flying on airplanes? And how many of them could be saved? It's a question my next guest asked as the corporate doctor for American Airlines. And when he discovered the answers, he did something about it. It's a remarkable story I talk about with Dr. David McKennis, the author of a new book with an appropriate title, Shocked. I've been traveling since I'm, well, since I'm six years old. Realize since I'm six months old, if you really want to know. But in terms of regular travel, since I'm about seven, six years old. And my father was a doctor, and he always questioned the medical supplies and the medical equipment carried on planes. You know, what if there's a medical emergency when you're in the air? You know, they would always ask if there was a doctor on board. Today, they don't even ask if a doctor's on board. They ask if there's a medical personnel on board, because there could be an EMT or a nurse, etc. And it was, not, you know, it wasn't enough just to have a doctor on board if, the, if there were no tools, if there was no equipment, if there was no, in some cases, emergency sort of medicine. And most airline medical kits 
uh, that were carried by the major U.S. carriers. It was basically, you know, a couple of Band-Aids and some gauze and maybe some mercur. I'm going to date myself, mercurichrome. But things started to change. They started to change with the foreign carriers, with the medical kits that they carried on their long-haul international flights. I remember a, uh, a flight I was on on Cathay Pacific from Hong Kong to Los Angeles, which is one of their longest flights. We were a full fl- flight, full plane, uh, fully loaded. I mean, we were like, you know, full fuel, full passengers, full cargo. We take off, and the woman behind me, about 12 minutes into the flight, uh, suffers a cardiac arrest. Most people don't realize once you take off, you're too heavy to land, number one. Number two, they had closed the airport right after we took off because it was monsoon season, so we couldn't even return to Hong Kong. They asked if there was any medical personnel on the plane, and lucky for us, there was a heart surgeon from Duke on board and another doctor from a, from a British hospital. They uh, assisted the woman to the galley where they laid her out on the floor of the galley, and then they asked the captain for the emergency medical kit. And the emergency medical kit was locked up in the cockpit because it, it contained some serious stuff in there. And believe it or not, they created an airway. They performed an airborne tracheotomy. They had all sorts of um, stuff intravenous. Uh, we dumped about 100 tons of fuel, which if you've never seen it from a plane is quite remarkable, looking out the window. And we made an emergency landing in Taipei and saved her life. All because we not only had the doctors on board, but we had the tools. My next guest, Dr. David McKennis, knows all about that. The name of his book is Shocked, Life and Death at 35,000 Feet. And it's all about one particular kind of tool that it might surprise you to learn was not carried by airlines until relatively recently. Doctor, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Peter. It's, it's my pleasure. And we're talking about, of course, defibrillators. We're talking yes. about, we're talking about, uh, and by the way, if you notice these days in public, in public arenas, whether it's stadiums or concert halls or convention centers or Las Vegas casinos, they have lots of defibrillators. And in fact, it allows response time to be in under two minutes, in many cases, under 90 seconds. And the new defibrillators are amazing. As many of you know, I'm a volunteer fireman. The the defibrillators we use are very much like the ones carried on the airplanes because they allow anybody to use them. Uh, They give you audio commands so you can't mess up. And for somebody who has a heart attack at 35,000 feet, you need those tools. But the history of what got, got them on the plane is what this book is all about with one amazing ironic story. Right, doctor? That's correct. The story is about, I'm sorry, you can tell the story because it just blows oh, me away. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Um, I came to American Airlines as corporate medical director in 96 under Bob Crandall, the legendary CEO. And actually, during a physical exam, I started, uh, had first looked at data, and I found out that about 60 to 70 people a year were dying on board airplanes. And they could have been saved if they had this small box, a defibrillator on board. And during the physical, I told Mr. Crandall that, and I think he had a needle in his arm, and he couldn't go anywhere. And I said, sir, if we add these to the uh, airline, then we will save lives. And the issue is sudden cardiac arrest. It is a killer if it happens in flight. And in 1997, they put them on the planes. They put them, in fact, American became That's the first correct. U.S. airline to do that. But 
This is the wild, wild thing. They put it on the plane, and almost right after they put it on the plane, a male passenger traveling with his wife suffered what you just talked about, a sudden cardiac arrest, and the defibrillator had been placed on the aircraft just two days earlier, and they saved him, didn't they? That's correct, and that story, Peter, is a little bit spooky. Um, the flight attendant that also responded happened to be planning to commit suicide that very day and got a call to cover the flight. And she said, well, I can figure this stuff out after the flight. And she got on board, noticed where the defibrillator happened to be and saw the logo that I had designed, uh, the heart and the lightning bolt. And uh, then all of a sudden heard the commotion, people screaming uh, for help as the plane was taxiing. And a paramedic responded and said, evaluated him and said, this man is going to die unless we can get a defibrillator within minutes. But then he realized planes don't carry defibrillators. But Sean uh, Lynn said, well, this one does. And she ran and got it, uh, shocked him once, and he came back to life. Uh, Peter, I can't tell you what a risk of, of death is from sudden cardiac arrest. Every minute of delay, people, uh, the odds of survival go down by 10%. So even if you could taxi back to the gate, this gentleman would have died. And by the way, to your point, uh, since 2018, just on American Airlines alone, the airline has counted 57 incidents where the onboard AED, that's the defibrillator, was used and got the pulse back Save the passenger. Your point exactly. Now, every other airline now has them. They train their flight yes, attendants and their, and their flight personnel in how to use them. Uh, and I encourage all of our listeners to know that almost everywhere you're going to be now, there will be an AED somewhere near you that you don't have to be afraid of it because the current models literally walk you and talk you through it. And... In Las Vegas, it's now known as the best place to have a heart attack because they train the security guards at the casinos. They can respond a lot faster than the paramedics trying to drive down crowded Las Vegas streets, and their response time is less than 90 seconds, and they truly save more people in Las Vegas than you can imagine. But the good news is, doctor, and the name of the book again, Shocked, Life and Death at 35,000 Feet, is that thanks to you... They're on every plane now, and thanks to you, lives are being saved, and they're being saved by people who may not be medical professionals, but they're just following instructions. And you should also know, and I know, doctor, you know a little bit about this, thank God there are good Samaritan laws. That means that no one's going to get sued because they tried to save your life, whether, whether right. you make it or you don't. So everybody knows that it's not a question if you want to be a hero but if you're confronted with a situation like this, you can save a life because the AED is accessible, it's it's easy to operate, and you know what? Don't hesitate. Follow the instructions, do it, and you save a life. Again, the That's name so of the book. It's, I'm telling you, you're right. And thank you again for doing this, Doctor. I'm glad you had the needle in Bob Crandall when you did. <laughs> and I'm glad that he actually made the decision that he did. I'm sure he's glad about it, too. The name of the book, again, Shocked, Life and Death 
at 35,000 feet. The author, Dr. David McKennis. Doctor, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Peter. My thanks to Dr. McKennis, to John Sage, to Simon Calder, and my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news and travel, just log on to petergreenberg.com. Special thanks to our sponsors at Clear. Enroll in Clear at clearme.com slash Peter and zip through busy airports nationwide. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.